So I want to reiterate that, one, this is being recorded and will be on the website, so be aware of that. And um, the other point, and that, I, I don't know, Mushin sent out some notice about um, letting him know who's attending and that there's a request for some donation um, for the class. So, last week, we read the, the chapter titled Whirlpools and Stagnant Waters. And, in a way, you can say that chapter covers two of the basic three characteristics of Buddha's teaching, um, which is anatta ananitya, or, put it differently, um, impermanence or ongoing change and non-self or no fixed permanent separate self. So those two aspects of what's called the three characteristics of reality, which is the fundamental teaching of the Buddha, even more fundamental, you could say, than the Four Noble Truths, but it doesn't have to be more or less. Those two aspects are what whirlpools and stagnant waters touch on and clarify this fundamental matter of impermanence, non-self, or ongoing change, no fixed, permanent, separate self. So today we've got the cocoon of pain, which the third characteristic, dukkha, or the inherent unsatisfactoriness of conditions and circumstances, or we can call it suffering. That's the third characteristic of life. Whether we, quote, like it, don't like it, believe it, don't believe it, doesn't matter. That's the characteristic of our life and the life of all that we meet. It's neither good nor bad, it's just the way it is. Just like um, out here it's raining now and going out in the rain and getting wet is neither good nor bad, it's just the way it is when you step out into the rain. So the cocoon of pain wants to clarify this for us Joko is wanting to clarify this for us so that we can, one, not entangle ourselves further by missing what our life is, by, or as she puts it, pursuing all these false gods, where she quotes the Bible. Um, as she translates it, Thou shalt not have no other gods before me. Lo actually which is the second of the Ten Commandments. And she says, we just do that. We do it, whether it's a god of, as she puts it, comfort, pleasantness, security, and then she goes on and on, talking about all the different ways we want to avoid this pleasant moment, which 
we perceive of or fear will be unpleasant at some point. Um, Unpleasant meaning it won't be the way I want it. It will be discomfort. It will be, and you could fill in all the ways, um, it will be even pain. All the ways we would rather not be reality because of our fear of reality. Um, And that fundamentally we get into trouble with this. So as I said before, I expect everyone to have read these chapters, each chapter before we come. So I'm not going to repeat the, the chapter, but I want you to speak out of your having read the chapter. If you haven't read the chapter, then you really are only going to get glimmers of what other people say, but you really don't have anything to say because you cannot grapple with what Joko says because you don't won't know what she says. And I think these chapters are particularly rich. So, I'll stop now. I'll just want to bring up one other point, and then we'll open it up to reflecting on it. As she says, sitting session and everyday practice are a matter of wrapping ourselves in that cocoon of pain. Isn't that interesting? Who, who would want to wrap ourselves in a cocoon of pain? And yet, and yet, this is the only way we could open into what our life really is. Or as she puts it, um, sitting is not about finding a happy, blissful state, but it's only the surrender and opening into something fresh and new as a consequence of experiencing or of experiencing pain or experiencing what we don't want, or experiencing, and then you could fill out all. And she, she's she got a whole list of ways we try to avoid by, as she calls it, worshipping, running after false gods of different sorts. Okay, I, I want to stop because I want this really to be your chewing on and grappling with what she has to say as your practice. Okay, Neil? Yes. Yeah, I, I pretty much saw the, this chapter the way you described it um, in terms of her treatise on, on Dukkha, you know, what we call suffering or dissatisfaction in our life. Um, and I mean, at first blush, this chapter could be kind of depressing in a way, you know, pointing out all the frustrations and all the confusion that, that we encounter in our struggles with life, against our own life, with our own life. But one thing that, that stood out early on in this chapter for me is in the, the second paragraph, there on page 10. Um, you know, she, she's kind of beginning her 
iteration of, of let's say, the eels that befall us <laughs> and the way we react to them. But then, you know, the, the last sentence in that second paragraph really stood out for me, where she says, until we honestly see that this is what our lives are about, you know, and you would expect in various kinds of books about self-help and self-reflection and all those things, the next part would be saying something how, about how we can fix that or how we can change it or make it not be the way we don't want it to be. But instead, she says, until we see our lives, what this, you know, our lives are about, we won't be unable to discover who we really are. Yeah. She's not, she's not implying that we're looking to fix or correct our lives so much as to see our lives and appreciate, as my Zumi would say, our lives exactly as they are. Uh-huh. And I think it's a good opening to this, to this chapter when she states it in that way. Good. And I'll sort of repeat that with a quote from her on the next page at the, at the end of the first full paragraph on page 13 when she says, and when we're perfectly willing to be there, in other words, to be present, to be Zazen, in other words, when we're willing to be life as it is, embracing both life, death, pleasure, pain, good, bad, comfortable, um, in being both, then the cocoon begins to dissolve and what happens is we can be the butterfly we are. Though, butterfly and cocoon or butterfly and uh, whatever is in the cocoon, worm, pupa, whatever you call it, is we can alternate almost instantaneously between one and another because of how easy it is to fall into the habits of unclarity unless we, so to speak, maintain our willingness to be what sometimes is easy to be and sometimes is hard to be. And we could avoid either one of them sometimes or make an effort to avoid either one of them. I like the uh, end of the paragraph on page 13 at the top that suggests uh, that surrender and opening into something fresh and new is the consequence of experiencing pain, not a consequence of finding a place where we can shut the pain out. Yes. And... And it's not that you need to go look for pain or you need to have pain in order to do anything. See, part of this is saying, live your life. Live your life and notice where pursuing these false gods, as she uses the word, or these reactive habits, if we use that word, keep you from living your life. Keep you from living your life not because you have to find another place, but because it's only in embracing what arises, however it is, that you get to have your life. 
And that's the simplest and yet the most difficult. The simplest and most difficult because we have so many ways, internal and external, to pursue something other than what is, without even noticing it, which is part of what the difficulty or the um, strangeness of practices is that you sit and you start discovering all these strange habits that have been the way you've been doing things and how you assume, oh yeah, that's what you need to do when this comes up, I need to start running away with it this way or need to distort it that way or need to do something about it this way. Um, And it seems natural. Um, But I don't know anyone who wants, who will say, oh, I'm coming to sit because I want to experience a cocoon of pain. (laughs) I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. You know, not everyone says that. Maybe some of you... um, in a way, we're only willing to experience the cocoon of pain, as she calls it, or Zazen, or the present moment, because we've discovered that all the other ways we've tried, all these other false stars that we run after, and she lists them lists quite a number of them, despite our running after them, despite our even so-called achieving them or getting them, they don't work. They still leave us with a problem. After the initial high accomplishment, whatever, we discover, no, I'm still back here. It still hasn't taken care of it. I thought it would. I thought when I got my tenured position and everything would be okay. Or I thought when I, and you fill in the when I, uh, when I started shooting all those holes in one, that really I would feel great all the time and I would know that da, da, da. Or, Or when I can sit full lotus and, you know, have this crystal clear mind all the time that, you know, or whatever. Gendiel? Yes. uh, Speaking of people not knowing that they, you know, want to sit in the cocoon of pain, um, back in the first chapter, Yes. Page, I can't see the page numbers for some reason. Uh, wait, oh, there's, it's on the page six, actually. Uh, and Joko talks about, and maybe you can explain this, she talks about. Saying people, where? Where, which paragraph? Well, on page six at the top. Okay. Sort of the, the end of the the one that's at the top and then the next whole chat uh-huh. uh, paragraph about it's almost like she's saying she wishes there weren't so many people coming <laughs> yes so you can 
work with, you know, just a few. But if you've got a whole lot, a lot of people in pain and, and they're coming, well, you know, it's not something. It's not that she doesn't want people to come, but it's that a lot of people come because, as she says, they're looking for, quote, easy, painless solution to their difficulties. And that's, um, though there's an initial excitement of discovering sitting, discovering breathing, discovering sitting still upright and being present, if you have this additional agenda that I'm going to find something easy, painless solution, and you even have a little of that easy, painless moments from breathing and being present and feeling still and scented, if you become, if you're searching for that and you're holding on to that, then as soon as something happens to shake that, not because anyone does anything, but because in the process of life itself that gets shaken, um, then you run away. Or you make troubles of all sorts because you want to get back to that. Um, Wouldn't it be sort of incumbent on the teacher, teachers to <laughs> sort of walk them through that and... Uh, well, what she's saying is you really can't walk people through that unless they're willing to be walked through that, which means willing to have their um, daydreams or dreams crudely and rudely um, uh, uh, shaken. Well, shaken, but more than shaken crudely dissipated by the reality of life. And if people keep demanding that, you either feed them pablum, you feed them, you know, all sorts of highs, but that those are really fake. Those are just more, you know, uh, addictions to specific states of mind. And you can run after those, but those really don't take care of the problems. And those can become, in fact, a hindrance because every time something arises that you can't face, you can't embrace, you can't be present as, you run away to those places. And therefore, you begin to use your practice, your sitting, as a way to escape reality rather than as a way to be reality. So that's what she's saying um, when she says she doesn't want um, too many people looking for, as she says, easy, painless solutions to their difficulties. So, because many of us aren't willing to do the work. Because it means grappling with, embracing the real circumstances of the moment instead of running to one new thing or another new thing which is going to help us avoid the moment or our own habits or our own states of body-mind. See, in a way, our practice is to sit in the reality of the present body-mind universe and then respond appropriately. But if we 
run from it, whether it's so-called internal or so-called external, um, if we want to go into a daydream, then even if you come to sit and then go back to your daydreams, you're wasting her time, as she puts it, and the scent is time. Because the daydreams are just going to keep poisoning anything you even begin to get a glimmer of in your sitting. So that's what, as I understand, what she's saying. Okay. Yeah. When I read it, I thought, well, you know, isn't that how we're sort of trained as children, you know, to to go and see if you can't get it fixed here or there or, you know, somewhere? It's not the getting it fixed. It's... It's the thinking that if I run to something else, that'll take care of me not having to live the reality of the moment. It's yeah, but it'd be nice if we were trained that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's human nature. But, 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 but Elihu, I, I, it's just, I don't want to feel emotional or physical pain. Good, I mean, neither I, do I. I don't I don't want to and and this practice has um, taught me to um, confront that, really see uh-huh. that and then try to be with it. But then, you know, not to just sit there but try to find a skillful thing. So yes. I I mean, I struggle with the teaching sometimes of, of really just experiencing every kind of experience and almost not labeling it and yet having a very visceral reaction to a most emotional and physical pain and, and trying to deal with that in a way that doesn't cause more suffering. Yes. But it's a hard practice. Yes. um, You know, because you don't want to just sit there forever and just feel the pain. You, 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 You have to do something skillful to try to change that experience. Yes. And some things there are things to do skillful and some things there are not. Because the very nature of life is that there's going to be circumstances, and we shouldn't just stick on pain, but there's the very nature of life is that there are going to be circumstances, whether so-called mine or so-called others, whether inside or outside, which are not going to satisfy what we want, are going to be stressful or suffering or painful. That's the nature of being embodied. That's the nature of being physically embodied. That's the nature of being emotionally embodied. That's the nature of being connected to people. Those things occur. And there are skillful things to do, but even with the skillful things to do, it doesn't mean you don't feel the pain when someone gets sick, someone you love dies, someone you love is becomes angry and becomes... Uh, alienated from you despite that and you can go on and on I mean I could just just picked out a few there's 
all sorts of circumstances from the most mundane. People can get upset about getting up in the morning and looking out at the weather and not liking the way it is. I mean, just as simple as that. To much more, what should I say, deeper and more long-standing physical and mental anguish that comes up that we have to deal with. And it's not the circumstances that come and go that are the issue. And it's not even an issue of not doing things that are skillful for them. Do whatever is skillful. But, but, in the midst of that, there's the matter of being willing and actually embracing the moment of experiencing that is our life, rather than, as she puts it, running away after false gods. And the false gods, you don't even need to use the word, but that's what she started with, so I'm repeating it, are all sorts of distractions, entertainments, mental and emotional constructs that, in a way, offer something as a as a temptation, but we discover that they can't um, perform, they can't uh, produce, they can't give us what we're looking for, and in, a fa- in fact they make our condition even worse, because on top of the circumstance we have the <coughs> habit that we are running after, and all the uh, side effects and addictions of those habits, whatever those habits are. And I don't mean, when I say addictions, I mean, I use that very loosely. I'm not talking about heavy addictions. I'm talking about simply addictions to just becoming upset when we don't get what we want or um, complaining to ourselves and others when we have to wait online or, and you could add to all sorts of other things. I mean, she has a whole list of some, uh, of them in the first few in the first two pages, just to give us a little taste of how common, ordinary, and um, how much we expect that to be the way it is. There's nothing wrong with that. We've learned that, and that just keeps us suffering and keeps us doing harm to ourselves and others. That's the point. It's not that there's any need for any of us to have pain, but it just shows up. And when it shows up, when suffering shows up, when unsatisfactoriness shows up, then that's ours to embrace. When it doesn't show up, don't worry about it. And and on uh, back to page 13 at the top of the phrase it's talking about uh, sitting and it says uh, when we're really experiencing our pain over and over what what so that finally there is just letting go and Uh and I've uh, had an experience this week where 
uh, a, a woman friend who, you know, I've always, you know, gotten along with well. Uh, we were at the movie. I wasn't with her, but she was with a different group, and I was there. Anyway, uh, it was as though she just ignored me completely, and I thought, oh, my gosh, what did I do, or what did I say, or what, you know, and then even when I got home, I was going, oh, my gosh, why, why, what happened, you know, and then I thought, nah, wait a minute, I just have to let this go. I mean, you know, it's not important. I don't know what was going on. You don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So, you know, so I've been fine ever since. I said, okay. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but that, yeah, just exactly what you were saying. You know, that those that stuff comes up, and then, you know, now I could still be beating myself up over it. You know, two days later, and but no, I, you know, so. So she probably went home and said, "Why didn't they let me say hi to me? Does she like me anymore?" Maybe, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I wonder though what it would be like to just, just keep. Well, we do it all the time, but if you just made it your mission, I am just going to seek one pleasurable event after another. I am am never, if I feel the least bit sad or in pain, I'm just going to go, what if you just had a million dollars? What if you had a million dollars? Well, it's like Mae West said. Mae West said, too much of a good thing is wonderful. (laughs) What would the the experience in this form be if you just had... All the money vain. you want, it would become and, you, and you could just pursue every everything that caused you a problem. You could fix. That's just like our new president was just going to say. <laughs> no, I mean, I just wonder. <laughs> then you stir up all sorts of shit for everybody. Else. <laughs> well, hold on, we're capitalizing. Springfield's oh, capitalizing this. Yeah, but there is a point where it actually, in Buddhist, um, uh, what should I say, cosmology. There is a, a world where people, it's, you know, it's a world of gods where you have endless, let's put it in the terms you were just saying, wealth and ability to have everything you want. Um, unfortunately, that's a world of, that goes on and on, but that too comes to an end. And that world is one where it's almost impossible to um, realize who we are to even be Buddhas, that from that you have to, um, because it's so super comfortable, you never get to face and embrace your reality. You never really get to be open and vulnerable to life, call it as it is. Instead, you're constantly blanketed and protected. And at some point, in one way, you could say, this is what Buddha the historical story of Buddha escaped from because he had just this world of wealth and everything was done to uh, enable him to uh, avoid all the uh, travails of life, of reality. Now, there are a few people in our world who, in theory, have that ability. Um, I think most of the stories we have, even of those people, is that they become very dissatisfied and go look for other things to do, other projects, other etc., etc. But, you know, since... since How does pain and suffering 
reveal to us who we are? Um, I won't say, well, it's not that they reveal to us who we are, but they reveal to us the nature of embodied life. Now, suffering, in a way, is related to our wanting things to be other than as it is. And it's only in the experiencing of, of as it is that we can discover that we, if I'll say it in such crude terms, we are bigger than our idea of what this is. And our idea of what this is is so um, tied up into ideas of self and permanence that it's only when we can release ourselves into the experiencing of the moment, whether it's good, bad, hard, easy, that we can also allow those self, other, permanent, impermanent to dissolve. And see, that's why, in a sense, this builds on the previous chapter. See, these three aspects of the characteristics of our life need not um, enclose and hinder us if we can see them for what they are and therefore not bang up against them. The, the way Joko talks about the false god, she's really talking about what we do to avoid facing the impermanent ongoing change that is life, the non-fixed, permanent, separate self that is life which in a sense is what we are always fighting against when we're fighting pain, when we're fighting unsatisfactory conditions, what, meaning pleasant, unpleasant, life, death, all those other conditions that we don't want to be when they are there. We don't have to want them when they're not there, but how do we be and experience where we are, or be open and vulnerable to the moment as it is, that's what our practice is, being that. But we have to over and over, in a sense, rest in what is, despite our not wanting it to be the way it is. Um, Not that we shouldn't have those ideas or feelings or habits, but... Despite that being so, we don't have to hold on to that. That's what she gets at in, in this, um, or, or she puts it, our lives break down because we can't stand any opposition to the way we want things to be. But reality opposes the way we want things to be with the way things are. See? And it's the way things are that we have to embrace. Not because there's any particular way it's supposed to be, but it is the way it is. And when we don't want to be it, we we end up 
bumping up against it and causing all sorts of problems. And we keep trying, and we keep discovering that it doesn't work. Maybe sooner, maybe later, maybe because of what we do to others, maybe because of what we do to ourselves, or maybe we keep running after alternative solutions to avoid the way things are. Which means when it's unsatisfactory, painful, then that's the way it is. When it's not painful, then that's the way it is. Um, These days I have a, a lot of knee pain. I have the knee pain sometimes when I go sitting and Sometimes when I go walking, um, yesterday I went for a long hike down to a waterfall and um, a lot of, over a lot of rocks. Fortunately, I used my hiking sticks, but nevertheless, um, when I went to sleep last night, my knees were hurting and during the night I woke up and they were hurting a lot. I didn't get to, so this afternoon I went and sat in a hot tub and in a sauna and my knees are a little better now, but... I just get got to sit with aching knees yesterday. Now, I didn't have to go hiking, but I wanted to go back into the canyons and go up to the waterfall, etc. And they, if, if I hadn't had my hiking sticks, I would have given up because the pain would have been way too much to do it. So we make choices. Hey, fine. And we make similar choices in terms of if you're having relations with people, you're going to have people who aren't going to do what, quote, you want. And unless you're willing to be open and vulnerable to the people who you're with not doing what you want, you can't have relations with people. Or you you have very restrictive relations with people. We could expand this to all sorts of aspects of our life. If we want it one way, we have to also be willing to have other aspects that come along with it. It does, our life doesn't fit our ideas of life, our false gods of how life should be. See, that's also what Joko's talking about in this chapter. But I'm talking too much. Let's talk, let, let me let you all speak. chime in um, I've read over the years I've read this book any number of times and I always dislike this one chapter and try and read it and get over it I like the first one and so much that that's kind of what kicked me into coming back to my Zen practice was the <coughs> whirlpool was the vortex and the stagnant waters and now this this chapter the stagnant waters and I had an example last night. Um, being retired and Thursdays are sort of my free days, so Wednesday night I was thinking, oh boy, I can sleep in. Lo and behold, I went to bed about 10. At midnight, I woke up. I had wet the bed. This is the beginnings of realizing, you know, you, you know, things are wearing out and you've got to kind of do things differently now to protect against that. But it was like getting up and all oh, the sheets are wet and you know, why did this happen? And then I thought, well, this is life as it is. It's rock. 
so I don't get my night's retirement sleep uninterrupted, you know. But this is the way it works. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just, I could do some things that will make it so I'm not washing sheets every day. <laughs> yeah. And my dog Bella left in a hurry, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but, you know, realizing that, you know, you're getting older, things are breaking down. I remember the painful knees, and uh, luckily I was able to get them fixed. Uh, at this point in time, probably just problems not fixable. So yeah. I have to learn to live with it. Yeah. And it's not the pleasure and the comfortable life that I would like to have, especially at night. Thank you. Well, um, I just wanted to share that I um, think that it is what is said uh, in the chapter is very um, useful. Yes, I've experienced these things myself. Um, however, I I, I do think it's okay if we recognize uh, our pain that there are skillful ways of um, uh, coping with mm -hmm. pain, either emotional or physical, that are okay. And for instance, um, I uh, it, I think it can be useful. You can to recognize that um, your stress or uh, you need to have a break. You need to have a break from something that might be causing the stress. Um, sometimes we need a retreat, either from stressful work or emotional stress or um, politics, <laughs> the news. Um, so it seems like to me that that is not... Um, running away or not yeah. uh, facing life as it is. It seems like to me it's facing life as this is, um, or as, as you were just saying, I don't know who that was that was speaking that, well, this is part of my life and uh, I need to respond to it. Uh, it. It may not go away, but I need a break from it or I need to yeah. respond to it. Um, it doesn't mean we have to, just accept it and, and go on sit there in our pain yes of course <laughs> there is something we can do about it right exactly but and also I don't necessarily find I don't um, this, this chapter I guess because of the content and its focus sort of makes you know the sitting or the cocoon um, seem painful all the time but I actually find the uh, I would I, and I think the worm that becomes the butterfly too is the larva becomes um, it's a, the cocoon provides protection and support uh -huh. so that we might become a butterfly and even more the cocoon or if we could say practice or if we could say zazen uh -huh. enables us to be open to what's hard to otherwise be open to and also to be able to see, do I need, as you were saying, need to take a break right now because I can't be with this person because I, when I'm with them, I just blow up. So I need to, or they just blow up. So I need to have this 
until I'm able to be there with them, whatever. And, and we just pick, I just picked the person, could be all sorts of things. Of course, there's all sorts of skillful things to do. I mean, as I said, I, I, I go, I soak in a hot tub when my, when my knees are particularly bad. I don't say, oh, I need to feel my, my knee pain, this is good. When I sit cross-legged these days, I, I put a cushion under the, the knee that's particularly bad because I know I can't, can no longer sit lo- long periods without that. It's too much pain. I don't mm-hmm. say, oh, I should really sit through this pain no matter how much. No. I recognize that I need to do what's possible for me. There isn't some ideal, quote, th- pain that I need to feel. Life keeps offering us plenty, and as we can, we use the supports that enable us, just as our Zen does, enables us to be open to the circumstance, if you want to use the word open and vulnerable, to the relationship, whether it's a so-called relationship to myself of being present, a relationship to with another person, a relationship to the universe, and so forth. Mm-hmm. So, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Any, Cindy, you didn't say anything if you want to bring anything up. Well, I, I, I really uh, appreciate reading this chapter and appreciate listening to everybody. I think um, the one thing I would say is it was just really helpful just to have this reminder um, not not to go out of my way to look for this pain, but just to pay attention to when it came up and to sort of see what uh, I guess my kind of habitual response was. I think for me, a lot of times when um, things don't go the way I want them to, it, it um, I automatically kind of... Uh, it's not even a conscious thought, but there's a feeling or there's a there's a thought there, but I'm not aware of it that that I failed somehow that I you know if I had done something different or done something better that this wouldn't have happened and so um there were lots of opportunities this week to pay attention to that and that was it was very helpful yeah so thank you yeah and and Joko specifically says we we need to be able to sit or be present with or be open to the amount of, quote, suffering or pain that we can tolerate, or maybe a little piece of it, maybe just in certain areas or at certain times. We need to do it at the pace that we can. It's not some ideal, oh, I've got to feel this pain or some pain. Nothing like that. It's not a daydream. It's doing what we're capable of in the life of this moment. We don't have to go looking for anything because in the process of being present, we discover how much we can spin off into daydreams to create pain or how much our daydreams make pain out of ordinary circumstance when someone doesn't do something that we want or does something that we don't want or it's not even someone. It could be, you know, an unknown body when when my the wrong sports team loses or wins or when something happens in in some other realm 
whether it's political or, or other kinds of realms. And we all have all sorts of daydreams, even, even with things as mundane as celebrities and TV shows and who wins awards and who doesn't or who acts in some ways or who doesn't. Um, we have ways to make, to make ourselves suffer when there's no need to. And in discovering what, how we're doing that, we could discover how we do it in simple, ordinary ways, everyday life circumstances, and discover how it's not necessary to try to run from that, but rather to be the everyday life circumstance so that we could be the richness of the everyday life circumstances, so that we can be nurtured and nurture the everyday life circumstances. I'm talking too much again. Any any other comments about this? I, I heart. I encourage you to reflect on these first two chapters because they're really, as I said, the fundamental aspects of what our life is and what life practices. Nevertheless, given the exigencies of of doing a class next week we're going to go to the next chapter which is Sisyphus and the Burden of Life she's got very fancy titles in in uh, in, in this book at least these three so we'll go to that but if more comes up about these first two um, you can bring it up next week Anything else? Any last points? Okay, thank you all. Speak to you again next week. Good night. Thank you.